0: You're listening to a UCD Humanities Institute podcast. This podcast series features recordings of lectures, seminars and events hosted by or associated with the University College Dublin Humanities Institute. Our podcasts are available on Apple, Spotify and on SoundCloud. For more information and to listen to hundreds of podcasts, go to ucd.ie forward slash humanities. In this episode, a recording from the fourth webinar organised as part of Framing Ageing, a clinical, cultural and social dialogue. The webinar consisted of Panel 6, Practice 1. The second speaker was Dr Katie Featherstone from Cardiff University, who presented on Wandering the Wards, Everyday Hospital Care and its Consequences for People Living with Dementia.
1: But um, I'm going to talk about, yes, wandering the wards, but I'm just going to give you a a kind of a small slice of the work that I'm doing, which is really looking at at the rules of the ward. I think that's a good way to start thinking about what's going on on in our hospitals for people with dementia. But I want to start off by just giving you a bit of background of hospital care and the population of people with dementia within them. I can move my cursor. So over the last, decade there's been an incredible increase in the number of people living with dementia in our hospitals. Um, Massive increases and they are also high users of um, emergency care. So 70% of all emergency admissions in the UK are people living with dementia. They're also a particular group that actually they're there not because of their dementia but they're there because um, early mid-stage dementia also, quite many are also undiagnosed in terms of dementia, and they have an unplanned admission for a potentially preventable condition, so typically pneumonia, sepsis, UTIs, fractures, so they're often admitted at this point of crisis as well. And what's important about this, this large population within our, hospitals, within our hospitals is that they have incredibly poor outcomes. Um, higher short-term mortality with almost a quarter dying during their their admission. This is twice the rate um, of dying compared to patients without dementia, but with the same admitting condition. So they really have this high risk of just being um, someone admitted with dementia as an additional condition really does increase your risk in terms of getting home safely. But lots of people say, so why is this a problem? Because dementia, of course, is a, li- is a progressive and life-limiting condition. So we see in hospitals quite often this culture that it's in some ways deterioration for this population is seen as viewed as natural, unremarkable and inevitable, seen as part of a condition. Once someone has dementia, they have an acute condition, deterioration is seen as normal. So. It- And in some ways, you can say that actually reflects the rates of um, mortality in terms of dementia. It is um, currently the leading cause of death in England and Wales, and that might have changed. That's 2019, so that might be slightly different, but I suspect not in in terms of um, COVID. But these cultures, what they hide is, and what my question was when I started to do my my work in hospitals is, but what if the cultures of care What if these low expectations of recovery, the ways in which care is organized and delivered to people living with dementia within these settings, what if that was significant? That goes back to again, to that material as well as the the clinical world. What if hospitals and hospital care itself contributes to these high rates of mortality for this population? And of course, we've seen over this last decade, as well as this increasing rise in people with dementia in our hospitals, we've also seen again and again, reports and inquiries that tell us people with, living with dementia have poor outcomes, poor experiences. And they also typically talk about culture and say hospital culture is critical part of this. And so we, we, we actually see this again and again. But what it tells us is on one hand, we have these poor outcomes and we have these reports that keep telling us about these poor outcomes and experiences, but that tells us that something deeply systemic about the inequalities people with dementia experience in the hospital setting. And also that it seems incredibly resistant to change. You know, we know about it, we keep being told about these inequalities, yet actually nothing really changes for this population. So that was also one of my questions, why is that? And hospitals and the NHS have responded to this but this tends to be in a very um, small scale um, really local initiatives that really really do not reflect the needs of the populations so we have new types of wards so maybe if we just get you know new awards with new and with names um, for this population that might make things better and this is quite a kind of a really old Um, technique of um, grading people and grading patients by age, by ability, by condition. We have outsourcing of skills. So we have specialist dementia supports teams, enhanced agency nurses coming in to give one-to-one care. We have um, identification and awareness schemes, which I've written about separately to identify over the bedside that someone has dementia. There's a sign there saying it as a butterfly um and um but one thing that really doesn't seem to happen is interventions to really support ward cultures these are really highly resistant settings and one thing i really wanted to do is think about actually why are they resistant what are the cultures within these wards that contribute to these poor outcomes because only once we have that can we really think about interventions that might Reflect the, the real life, um, social, the real-life social organisation of care work has done, rather than work as imagined by policymakers and um, uh, institutions. So, I've carried out um, two ethnographies with with colleagues. I'd like to also add that these are all projects that are deeply interdisciplinary, and all involve people living with, living with dementia as part of the projects and carers as well. Um, We've looked at the phenomena of refusal of care and also looked at continence practices as well. Care. Okay. Um, and really, the core to our ethnographic approach is um, long term commitment to field work. So I spent a year in hospital wards across England and Wales, as have my colleagues. And um, I'm just gonna take a, a tiny slice today from uh, my recent book, uh, Wandering the Wards, um, and really talk about the ward as a small society and what are the rules within it. Um, if we go back to some of the really classic ethnography, and classic um, work of, of, of um, uh, institutional life, um, Hospitals have often been described as um, separate from everyday life, tight little islands, tight islands of vivid and capturing activity. And absolutely within these wards, people with dementia did seem cut off. Islands within the wards on these hospital beds, really isolated from other people. But also hospitals have been described um, as reflecting wider social world, a small society, society in miniature, and absolutely within these wards you can see cultures of understanding dementia as a condition understood by non-experts. Non-expert clinicians really reflected the um, non-expert understandings in wider society, poor understandings, fear and stigma also are very present within these hospital wards. and. In my analysis, I've really also drawn on, going back to some of the really classic texts to examine um, institutional life and how it might impact on people living with dementia. And one way to look at the culture is to look at the rules within it. And of course, everybody within a hospital, all the patients within it, have to learn the rules in some way. We all go into institutional life, any institution, and have that sense of, what are the rules here? But it seemed to us that there was a real compulsive communication of the rules of the ward to people living with dementia. This goes back to really the classic work around permissions and privileges, other groups, other patients, and actually there were very few younger patients within the wards that that we observed. Um, were really allowed privileges and permissions to walk around the wards, to to leave the wards that were not afforded people living with dementia, who were really, there's a very compulsive repetition and reinforcement of the rules of the wards for this population. And very little flexibility. And in fact, it actually reduced for this group. Flexibility became something impossible. And in times of high stress for staff, actually the rules got tighter. So you got a real tightening of the rules. So I'm just checking my time. I've got five minutes. Um, So I've just, I've got. There are so many rules within these sites. There are rules. So many rules for people with dementia. There are so many rules for patients, and there are also a huge number of rules for staff as well. And I could go on and on with this, but I'm just gonna highlight a couple just to give you a flavor of how these rules manifest. So a classic rule that I have found in every single ward I've been to, and actually said by every member of staff at some point during the observations is, you are in hospital. And this is something said again and again in that classic special tone of voice that we find within the institution. So a real approach was locating and reorienting the individual within the institution. And this could be simplified and repeated. It could become louder. So rather than actually seeing there might be a way that we, we could talk to the patient, it actually became more of a reduction to the essentials of, the, of an instruction. So sit in the chair, sit down, very simplified, and also um, reorienting to people to what had happened to them. You've had a fall. You've broken your hip. Um, so this was really, I think I wanted to show this to share actually, this is kind of the limits of how staff in non-specialist dementia wards talk to people with dementia. This is everyday communication. Rule two, you must not wander. As a researcher, I could wander the wards and actually lots of younger patients were able to wander the wards. However, for people living with dementia, I mean, obviously there is a risk of falls and absolutely every every ward is assessed on falls risk. And that is a really, really powerful um, anxiety for ward staff. However, this could really escalate to not just um, uh, being, e- encouraging people to be careful or to use equipment or support to walk or to ask for help, but really containing people at the bedside. So re- really repeated warnings of danger, imminent danger, and the consequences of behavior, i.e. leaving the bedside. You must communicate your needs in institutionally recognized ways. Well, of course, for someone living with dementia, this can be difficult, particularly with an additional acute condition. And within these wards, it was really powerfully felt by, I'd say, by staff that actually. If people living with dementia communicated um, verbally a really clear direct request or used the uh, bedside personal alarm, that was seen as care that They recognized, but also that institutionally they felt able to respond to. It was it was a mandated call that they could they could justifiably interrupt work and, and attend to. However, the more subtle um embodied communication from people living with dementia was something that actually staff either didn't notice, didn't recognise, or felt they couldn't actually respond to in the fast pace of the work of the ward. It was just something that they couldn't. couldn't see and if they could see they couldn't respond to. This embodied communication was also often seen as something that was um, could be recognised by ward staff as something um, as resisting to care, being disruptive or inappropriate and if that kind of communication was missed or um, ignored within the wards then it could really lead to a lot of distress for the person. I think um, etiquette and discipline is really important here as well because it wasn't just enough for people to, live with dementia, to um, eat a meal or to um, to get dressed, but it had to be done in particular ways. There was far more containment over how the body looked, a focus on cleanliness and bodily discipline. So if someone was able to eat a bowl of soup but spill it, and frankly eating a bowl of soup in bed is quite a difficult task, that was seen as something that had to be managed and stopped by staff. The thought of spillages was something that staff really felt they had to control and that could lead to someone being seen as someone who needed to be um, assisted with feeding and eating a meal. Care must fit the timetables. This is really, really important. Staff had such a deep fear of an underlying anxiety of delays to the organisational timetable of care within the wards and a real fear of falling behind. And this is something we see in institutional ward life, um, you know, since the um, the ethnographies in the 1950s and 60s, and it's still powerfully there within our wards. So care has to be done at particular times so we have things like we have to change you really emphasising staff status in the ward and um, everybody everybody must fit the expectations and the timetables of the institutions but it also meant that other really key care needs could get lost so for example continence needs and the urgency of continence needs really if they did not fit this timetable it really meant that um, staff could not respond to those needs or, or they, they became unrecognized. So these urgent needs that people with dementia might have in the context of the rigid, rigid timetable was really very problematic for people living with dementia. So why are these um, understandings of the rules important? Well, I think they fundamentally demonstrate the understandings of recognition of dementia within our acute wards. Acute wards that are staffed by non-experts in dementia. It really shapes their understandings of dementia as something that, as a condition, does not belong within the hospital wards. It does not fit the rules, it does not fit the timetables. This patient group do not fit the order. And the order doesn't change. What we have instead is we get a tightening of the timetables as we have more patients in the wards that don't um, follow the timetable and care needs that fit in nicely into the timetables. What we found was a real tightening of these timetables to really try and kind of condense people within them. And if people weren't able to to recognize the timetables, then it was seen as a feature of dementia. So it was seen as dementia as someone who was um, uh, demonstrating behavior. So behavioral and psychological features of dementia. So it's seen as behavior, seen as a problem, seen as disruptive. At the same time, that individual could also be seen by staff as being willful. And willfully rejecting the order of the ward and the timetables and rules within it and this again could really reinforce staff understandings of the condition and these patients as, as an individual and as groups and what we ended up with is seeing really cultures of containment and restraint So we found high levels of restrictive practices within the all the wards that we observed. Uh, This could um, range from verbal commands, as we've seen, you're in hospital, but that could extend to stop, sit, stay, don't get up, um, indirect uh, approaches to keep people at the bed or bedside, clinical technologies, um, such as continence pads, being used to keep people at the bedsides, Um, Also, safety technologies could be repurposed as restrictive practices, but also staff um, care and um, uh, um, um, agency staff could be used to um, provide one-to-one specialing and containment as well, and also seclusion. We saw that within all the wards we observed. And I'm just going to end, because I don't want to go too long but just say that I think one thing that we found really powerfully is actually although staff tended to see people living with dementia as a group that didn't belong didn't fit the timetables of care and thus were um, uh, a group that were um, problematic um, and really hard to manage within this acute ward actually what we found was actually the distress of people living with dementia, the behavioural features that they were seen as as expressing were actually a normal response to being in this abnormal setting. A sensitive population in this fast-paced environment really actually um, uh, caused an awful lot of distress for people living with dementia. I'm just going to end in Really, a sense that actually it takes us back to Goffman at the sense of um, institutional looping. These routines of timetables, restrictive practices, and restraint—the language, the rules—all parts of actually really shaping the responses of people living with dementia in these wards, and really shapes also their decline and this kind of pattern of um, of distress.
0: Thanks for listening to this podcast. From Framing Ageing. For more information on the project and to access podcasts and videos from our events, check out the project website at framingaging.ucd.ie.